one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A. You all ask the questions and we answer. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Kristen Williams, otherwise known as KB. Hey, KB. Hey, Laura. So you want to start off? You got a question this week. I did. I got a question from Anna Klum, which I think might be Clea. I think she uses her daughter's. Yeah. (laughs) Clea Clea asks, do you teach slash recommend any mind exercise to heal the body? For example, lower back pain. You want to start off? Sure. I think that's a really great question. And I know there's a lot of different techniques people can practice. I think all of it has to go into this intention of calming the nervous system. Because when you are experiencing discomfort slash pain, there tends to have, especially if it's chronic or it's happened before, there tends to be an anticipatory quality to it where you walk around almost in a heightened alert, even if you're not aware of it. And there has been great research that has shown John Sarno, for instance, Dr. John Sarno has done research that has shown a lot of low back pain is very connected to this psychosomatic um, connection, mind-body, and that we are anticipating thinking pain, pain, pain. And that has a big influence on on whether it can be summoned or, or not. So what I usually teach is I first, I think I just kind of relax people. I try and tell them they're going to be okay. Like ultimately, as much as we talk about preventative things, which are really important, we also recognize the body is very resilient and it's powerful and magical. And so with in particular low back pain, I will tell people you're going to be okay. You know, and sometimes that's, that's, it's, it's amazing just hearing that from someone can really ease the nervous system and 
I've had people who like the next day woke up and they're like, I didn't have pain today. And it was, I don't necessarily think we did anything physically, mechanically that changed it. And my, I think it was, it was the nervous system was believing that they were going to be okay. So that's one thing I, I do, you know, help people with posture and posture helps breathing. And so I think all of that contributes to that sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system response. But that would be the main thing that I, I would advise is really letting acknowledging what a person's feeling, but also letting them know that they're going to be fine. Yeah, no, I agree with that one thousand percent, and I think that's a big part of a physical therapist. You know, we they, they spend so much time with us compared to comparatively, they spend five ten minutes with their physician. They spend minimum, you know, usually half hour or more with us that first hour with the evaluation, and it's education. It's talking to them, like you said, saying you're going to be okay, saying. And explaining what's going on. It's amazing to me the number of times people come from seeing their physician and they they don't understand the issue. And once you explain it to them, I think it has that. It's a, oh, okay. You know, I I am going to be okay. But then also I do like to educate people. I use this spectrum idea of a stoplight, red light, yellow light, green light. And people like you said, they're anticipatory. They walk around in fear of pain. And we, especially low back pain, we cannot fear pain because pain, it's its body's way of telling us something, but it's also the body's way of grading things. So, you know, we'll ask someone on a scale of zero to 10, how bad is your pain? I'll have someone look at me with a smile on their face and say, oh, it's a 10. And I'm like, no bullshit, because it's not a 10. You wouldn't be smiling. So their whole scale is blown to pieces. So I take it to, all right, we've got green light, yellow light, red light. You don't want to do, so we're talking about doing exercise, doing movement. I want you to do this. It's okay to be in yellow type of pain. You can, you know, green is good, but you probably need to go to yellow. Don't go to the red. And that red is the take your breath away type. And so starting to teach people that pain is okay. And then they start to recover because they start to learn that that spectrum exists. And think of how often, Laura, have you or I tweaked something and yet we still get on camera, we still teach because we know that movement is going to heal it and we don't push ourselves into the red pain. We move within that spectrum of green and yellow. And that is especially true with low back, Um, really all, all body parts. But I think education, compassion, and empowering them that they're gonna be okay is you know, a type of mind therapy, you know, cognitive therapy that goes a long way because to your point, pain is very connected to emotion, fear. It's connected to trauma, you know, your emotion that's connected to how you got hurt. There's all, there's so much of that. The research is showing, you know, pain, by the way, everybody, pain is output from your brain. It is not input from the body. So the pain that comes like when you put your hand on a burning stove, it's not coming from your finger. It's your brain. You know, your brain sends the pain for you to pull your arm away. That's the latest thing that they've been finding is pain is output, not input. That was a game changer too for a lot of people. It's like, oh, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I just, something did come to mind. I One of my classes recently at the very end I often don't really talk in Shavasana, but in this particular class, of course, I can't think of the name. As you know, we have so many themes. So 
it's like once it's out of the deposit, it's I'm on to another. But I, um, but there was something about really about space and the energy of holding, having space in the body. And I just invited people in, in Shavasana. And so this could be something you could offer people is that just to imagine an area, it was really about energy flow. And it was like, imagine an area that you might feel like needs a little bit more of that energy to create space. So the idea is that, is it actually going to create space? No. But what you're doing is you're training the brain to go there because it starts to map that out and feel it. Mm -hmm. So you can physiologically shift, even though you aren't changing the actual space between your lumbar uh, vertebra. And there is such power in that because of our brain. Like That's what all the stuff we do for better habit formation, rewiring. It's because this amazing brain is in control of so many things. And we can also redirect the way it's focusing on something and think about more like, hey, can you... So if somebody was having low back pain, imagining there's like great, beautiful energy and space going into that area. And of course, adding all the kind of exercise tools that we use as well. But yeah, reassuring people that that they they need to move. The worst thing to do is not move. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's going to, it's, um, unless you're, you know, had like some kind of acute injury, it's almost always you just, you got to move. All right. That was a great question. On to another question. So Claire asked this, she asked this a while ago, but I saved it. Claire, Beth, and yoga. You can only do one activity exercise for the rest of your life, not yoga. What would you pick and why? I don't think we answered that. Oh my god! I just think that was like a fun, like, hey, you can't do yoga. What other activity would you pick? Probably for me, it would have to be some sort of like hiking or walking, you know, an explorative type. I, I do love to run. But running, I just don't believe is sustainable to do for the rest of your life as every day. But an every day would be some, for me, something in nature, through the woods, because I just get fulfilled by that. Colors, something like on a beach, you know, I, I, I'm very, I process visual things as much as physical. So, you know, yoga for me is very physical. But my other thing I like is something that stimulates me visually. So I think I love to hike and explore. What about you, Laura? Well, I would I would say similarly, uh, it would be something where I'm moving and enjoying, you know, like, yes, interacting the engagement. Um, I love hiking. I love walking outside. You know, I, I think to add to some funds, maybe an obstacle course. I don't know. You can't say that you're going to do that for life. But something that, yeah, yeah. that has like that's walking or hiking that has some engagement to it, you know, and it could be just that we're going on a really long hike in nature or there's maybe an obstacle course or something fun involved. But I think play in general. Yeah, and dancing. dancing. I was going to say. yeah. We would dance. Yeah, we would dance. We would. So I think, yeah, I know she was like trying to, it's like when you ask a person like, what one thing will you eat the rest of your life and you can't eat anything else? Well, of course, it's not going to happen that way, but it is a great question. Yeah. Makes us think because we are so, you know, we have a lot of yoga in our life. All right. MHS Gemini 37 asks, can you please talk about functional movement off the mat, i.e. picking up things, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, goodness gracious. That's, that's my bread and butter. It's biomechanics. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, uh, that is something that 
as a PT, especially an orthopedic PT, you you teach people how to do things, especially if they're doing it repetitively. So picking things up off the ground, it, it always, in my opinion, comes back to putting the least amount of strain on the body and putting the body in its most efficient or effective position. So most often we got to think, you know, what's strong? It's our legs, it's those big power movers. So bending over, bending at the knees, hinging at the hips, taking it out of your back, uh, you know, using the strength where we have it most, uh, engaging the core, you know, arranging the body. So the levers are shorter and that's, I think unless you do that on a regular basis, that's a learned skill. So that's how I apply it. Even in sports or in any type of athletic you know, endeavor, it is how can I do this with the least amount of effort, but produce the greatest amount of result? Yeah, I would agree. I would say that um, the people that I have, have worked with, as we do in PT and people that are recovering or just learning or relearning, you know, mm-hmm. if they've had some really suboptimal ways of moving. Uh, yeah, it's like, think about it. The the two largest joints in the body are the knees and the hips. Mm-hmm. And they're made to just do their thing a trillion times. Over and, and over. We want them to do, yeah, over and over. We want them to do it well. So you hinge at the hips, you bend your knees, and you keep your spine neutral. It really is protective to engage the, all the muscles close to the core. So put that in like, and then of course you stiffen them more if you're picking something up. So say you're picking up a load of laundry, you've got load in your hands that's coming up and that's going to be, the load will be at the the kind of fulcrum place, which is your spine if you round. So hinge at the hips and your the glute muscles will handle that. Yeah, picking saying, something bring, off the floor. Bring it close yeah. to your body. Bring it close to your body yes. to shorten that lever arm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like you wouldn't hold groceries with straight elbows. You pull them in close because shorter lever arm, you're bringing it closer to your center of mass and that just uh, makes the load distribution better and easier to manage. So it's pretty much most of the daily life stuff is going to involve hips and knees um, with that co-contracted trunk. And then there's just various levels of that. Now, taking this next question... I'm just going to piggyback off this. Una2288 says, posture form tips for snow shoveling. So this is like functional life and ramping it up. So you got an asymmetrical position because we don't shovel straight in front of us. We have to kind of buy just the mechanics of it. We have to do it to one side or the other. And it is it is asymmetrically loading. So you have to you know, it's possible you do the same. I, I mean, this is how I'll say it. I know you shovel snow too, but like really you have to work your legs and hips like crazy and then hold your spine stiff. Hold it stiff. Meaning when I say stiff, I don't mean like, oh, I'm feeling stiff today. I mean tense, like tense all the muscles that are right around the spine, the postural muscles, so that you can, you, you're going to have to turn a little bit. There's going to be asymmetrical side bend, lateral flexion. Um, but you want to, especially as you're picking that load of snow up and tossing it, you're gonna, you're just gonna hug in. And what I've noticed, I've experimented. I oh, I'm always watching my form and shoveling, and it's like the more I really bend into it, really bend the knees and get the hips, um, it's easier. But yeah, it's still it's a super big challenge for the shoulders and stuff. You, you have any more yeah. comments on oh, that? Oh, well. I mean, coming from the girl who just moved to Wisconsin. <laughs> I know, exactly. You're going to be, you're shoveling a lot more than I'm I am. Shoveling. 
Yeah. Um, this is something that, so the keys I give people is switch arms. You know, I will, I'll shovel five times with the right arm and then I will shovel five times with the left. Um, because you're twisting the opposite direction. I like to hold it with my right arm in front because I'm stronger, but I know I need to switch. That just changed up the load. Take smaller amounts. So don't go dig deep and try to, you know, hinge up. Take it off the top first and kind of peel away uh, by layer. Just again, if you've got a ton of heavy snow, you want to lift less. And then to your point, I bend down and I lift with my legs. And so I'll sometimes, if it's really heavy, I will bring the the shovel like up against my waist and then like push off with my, like I'm almost shoving it with my- Like a, your own fulcrum. I know. Like, yeah, I've done that too. Be, yeah. Like we figured I'm, it out. Yeah. We figured it out because I'm like, I don't want to use my back because I know I'm long torsoed. So I'm already kind of set up to be long lever armed anyway. And I- you know, I have a history of having had back pain. Um, so I don't want to push it. So I switch hands often. I don't carry heavy loads. So I do more reps with lighter loads. And then I bring the shovel close to my body. So it doesn't. So again, I'm shortening a lever arm and then move my whole body sometimes if I happen to get like a really heavy load. And then I personally, I stop every 10 minutes and I do five standing back bends <laughs> because I've been bent over for 20 minutes, whatever, 10 minutes, I stand up, put my hands in my low back and I, and I lean back and lengthen out my spine five times and then I keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the key too is, you know, a lot of people get injured because, hey, how often does it snow? Maybe where you are, it snows quite a bit, but it's been a while. Mm-hmm. So you have to adapt to this new activity. And for a lot of people there, you know, the snow is not all the time. It might be intermittent or... So it's it's you need to take like your duration has to be pretty short because you're just not used to this activity no matter what. Um, you just need to take those breaks. Now, piggybacking off of that, these are great questions right after the other that really have to, people didn't know they had to do any. But Steph Miles Yoga asks, have you ever been injured and what was it and how did you overcome it? So you were just mentioning about your low back. Do you want to talk a little bit about your what injury yeah. or injuries you had and how did you overcome it? Probably my most recent one. I, I really, honest to God, lit yoga has like, I rarely ever have back pain anymore because I'm so much stronger in my core and hips than I've ever been in my entire life. What I struggle with now is about two, maybe three years ago, I had worked all morning. I'm a, again, an orthopedic physical therapist. So I move a lot of body parts. I do a lot of work with my arms. And then one of my coworkers asked me to work on his back He's a big dude. He's probably about 280 pounds tall, you know, big guy. And so I worked on him for a half hour and I was doing a manipulation on his back and I felt my right shoulder tear. I mean, I literally felt like, a, and I was like, oh, I think I just tore my labrum. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I was like, <gasps> and, um, but so that bothered me. Um, I really modified like crazy in yoga. I did not do chaturanga lowering. I stayed in plank. I did my own therapy. I, you know, I started strengthening my, my rotator cuff. I never had an MRI. I, I don't want to know what's going on in there. So it still nags me every now and then if I do too much, if I get lazy in my core, if I get lazy in my scapula, I feel it in my shoulder or my wrist. That's another thing. I started noticing I was putting it into my wrist. So, you know, I'm constantly 
I feel with this right shoulder, um, I really focus on anchoring my scapula in, bringing it all back to body mechanics, making it as easy as possible. But it's an ongoing process that I, knock on wood, hope never have to address. But I'm 90% confident something in there is torn. But mm-hmm. our bodies are amazing. Uh, you, can, you can adapt, you know? Yeah. And like the labrum is pretty big. So it's not like, you know, people... And, and actually, I was emailing or texting with somebody this morning who was talking about her shoulders bothering her and it's really getting her down and it's been an old injury. And I said, you know, go back to the basics, like set that scapula in position and hold it because that is another, it's like a fulcrum. And if it has a good connection onto the back, you're unloading so much of the pressure on the glenohumeral joint. It is so underappreciated, I think, probably just not well understood how important the you know, I think as physical therapists, when somebody has a shoulder issue, we're going to go to the scapula. I mean, just right away and see, even if it's there, even if the pain like yours or was, um, there was a tearing or some kind of injury there. A lot of it is that, uh, the mechanics of how, you know, where that scapula is able to stay on the back and move well, it's got to have both. It's got to have a robustness, mobility and strength. So interesting. Yeah. I was trying to tell her how important that is. You know, you don't have to stop practicing. I said, just don't lower. Like yep. lowering is going to put a burden on it. It's going to increase the pain, um, inflammation. Just really work on the scapula stability. It's maybe not as sexy, but boy, does it work. Yep. So for me, um, have I been injured? Yeah, my injuries have happened less from a... I don't, in fact, dare I say, I don't think I've had an injury from a... I mean, a real injury from a biomechanical, like like something that happened, like I overstretched or mine have been more from like some kind of traumatic thing. Like I fell downstairs <laughs> and uh, broke my foot. Yeah. I mean, like You're, I, yeah, I tripped and yeah. I crashed on and onto a tree root and broke a rib. So mine, mine are not like anything I've done. It's more like something that's happened to like a, you know, stupid stuff. I'd so, and then I had, I had two other injuries that were pretty major and all these were, interestingly enough, they were all right in my very postnatal years. I think Jonah, I was pregnant with Jonah and I, I tore, I had, I got an inguinal hernia. Ha ha. Guess how? Shoveling snow because my my husband was out of town for like two days only. And I just got in my pregnant paranoid way, thought I was going to get trapped in the house. So I was like, let me just shovel the path. I didn't feel it until, you know, like a week later when I had a lot of pain around my pubic area and I was seven months pregnant. I just thought it was, you know, some kind of pubic symphysis separation. And she said, no, that's an inguinal hernia. And that hurt. And then of course the repair hurt a lot, Mm. especially because I couldn't take any pain meds because I was in nursing. So I, yeah, I feel like I'm a kind of a beast in terms of like being able to handle some stuff. And then right before I had my hernia repair, I was in a um, boating accident and got a third degree burn on my second slash third degree rope burn on my leg, which almost took off my leg. Like it was crazy. So yeah, that was very traumatic because I couldn't walk and then I was going to have hernia. So I had all this stuff, you know, like I just look at it, like I looked at it and what I found is those were all stuff that happened to me. So I can imagine when something happens that you're like in charge of like, oh shit, I just, you know, 
did something to my hamstring, it popped because I was trying to get in a split. That has to have a different level of irritation because you, there was some agency over it, like you were in charge and that happened. For me, there it's just different. Like I also went through like the stages I think you go through with injury where you're like pissed, you're angry, you're like de- depressed about it. Yeah. And you just, I just have to refocus. Like I found what I could do. I kept moving and I just let it, it allowed me to kind of just be, I don't want to say still, but be be okay with not being able to move in the way I usually could. Because my like all those were in an 18-month period. So I'd like start getting my yoga practice back, broke my foot, then I got pregnant, you know, and then the hernia and then the burn. And it's like, but it came back. And you know, I feel like sometimes that those kind of like perseverance, grit through it, you just um you will come back stronger mentally for sure. And I think again, it really proves the body is really resilient, whether you do it to yourself or something happens to you. I would add, if there is an injury that happens because of your own form, let it be uh, just, again, information. Don't get into a blaming thing. A lot of people can get into blaming. I know you know, we have teacher trainings and a lot of them have done different forms of yoga and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I did this for years. It did this to me. It did this to me. And I think that while it's fine to acknowledge uh, that's where you were, it's just better to just move on and learn from it as opposed to kind of be in the past of why was I doing this for so long? You know, it's like, I don't know, but you're here now. So like, I think it's, that's life. You know, you kind of just have to not be stuck physically, emotionally, mentally with whatever happens. You just have to kind of find the silver lining. You know, I think, especially as a physical therapist, you know, there's people that just think that, oh, well, you must never get hurt because you know better. Oh, I do know better, but I don't always do what's right. <laughs> you know, so like I knew better. Yep. I shouldn't have been working on him doing that by myself. That was just stupid. But you know what? We're all human. I, mm-hmm. I just let it go. You learn from it. Um, I'm never going to make that mistake twice. And uh, just um, there's a freedom to just being like, you know what? I'm human. And I'm, a, yeah. I'm yeah, but I'm better for it having gone through it. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I always think that there's so many ways I can't always relate to people because I've been lucky. I haven't had a... I mean, I look... And those are those are pretty big injuries, but, but it's good to have had something where I can relate. Like, oh yeah, I remember that experience of just really being bummed out and uh, angry. And so it does, it does um, help you empathize with it. These are wonderful questions all about injuries, shoveling, functional movement... I love it. And energy. So keep it up. Thank you, KB. We'll be back next week for more. Sounds great. All right. Love you, honey. Love you too. And all of you, thank you as always. We are pulling for you. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.